0: The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, if you're a guest or a visitor, my name is Penny, and I'm the senior pastor here and it is good to be with you. Um, I'm glad that we can be together and we can uh, sing to the Lord, we can offer prayers, and we can come to his word. And if you are joining us, uh, if, you, if you're new to us, this is maybe your first Sunday, you're joining us in the midst of a sermon series in the book of Romans. So this New Testament book written by the Apostle Paul, uh, we've been going through this for a few months now, and for the last six weeks, we've been focusing our attention on a single chapter. Romans 8 and we've slowed down to look at this single chapter because this is one of the the greatest chapters in all of Scripture Right it is a chapter full of great theological truth of great comfort There's so much richness and depth to it and this morning. We conclude Romans 8 We'll be looking at verses 31 through 39 So if you have a Bible you can turn there and the passage will also be projected on the screens in just a moment But as we've been in this chapter for the last few weeks remember what we've heard that if you are in christ there is now no longer any condemnation right there's no condemnation over you if you are in christ we've heard that the holy spirit testifies with our spirit that we are adopted children of god that we are brought into his family That as we see the sins and brokenness of this world, our spirits, they groan. But not just us, it's not just we who groan, but the creation groans with us. And we've heard recently that that it's not just us and it's not just the creation that groans, but the spirit himself groans. There's groaning. And even last week we heard that God is working all things together for good. That those whom he has justified, he has glorified. There is so much richness in this chapter. We could keep going on and on for many weeks. There are glorious truths. But this morning, what we hear is Paul ending this chapter with a great statement of confidence. And so let's follow along in our scriptures, beginning in verse 31. Paul writes, What then shall we say to these things? For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask that you would meet with us, that you would guide us and lead us that you would teach us uh, what we are to believe and how we are to live, and that you would give us great confidence in your work and what you are doing, and that we would dispel with our doubts and trust in you. So meet with us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. amen. So uh, Mead and I, my daughter Mead and I, we've been reading a book together recently. It's actually a book that I just finished about a month or two ago, and Mead's now picking it up. It's called The Confident Mind. The Confident Mind. It's written by a psychologist out of West Point, and and though he talks about uh, the business world, he talks about military endeavors, he talks about the Army and the Navy, really what this book is about is sports psychology. That's what it's about. And so because it's about sports psychology he talks about how the greatest athletes in the world aren't just the greatest athletes because they have the greatest strength or they're the fastest or they're the strongest but but included in their great physical ability is mental ability. They have strong minds. And so, Dr. Nate Zinser, that's his name, Dr. Nate Zinser, in this book, he quotes and he interviews and he recounts conversations he's had with some of the greatest athletes all over the world. And one of the athletes that he quotes is Michael Strahan. So, Michael Strahan was, is a retired defensive end for the New York Giants. Uh, That that means he played in the NFL. (laughs) He was a professional football player. So, so he played in the NFL for a number of years, and at the height of his career, Michael Strahan was one of the best defensive players in the league. He was an all-pro, he led the league in sacks, had multi-million dollar contracts. He was one of the most dominant defensive players in the league. And so this man, Michael Strahan, you would think that as he stepped onto the field, as he put on his pads, as he engaged in football, that he would be one of the most confident, one of the most sure people on the field. You would think that. But in 2001, in an article written in Sports Illustrated, as his team was headed to the Super Bowl, he said this, the thing that haunts every player is self-doubt. Toward the end of the '98 season, I had 10 sacks in 10 games, but I thought I stunk. It was like we had no hope. Every player is haunted by self-doubt. Okay, think about that. By any measure, by any rubric, by by any way of evaluating success, you would think that he was the most successful, one of the best players in the league. And so he would surely have the greatest amount of confidence. But instead, he had doubt. For all his wins and all his victories and all his accolades, he wondered, maybe these are simply blips. Sooner or later, the other shoe will drop, and all this will come crashing down. All those things that he had heard and he had told himself, maybe, maybe they weren't true. And we know that feeling, don't we? Instead of having confidence, having doubt, doubt in ourselves, doubt in relationships, doubt in others, doubt in this world, even maybe doubt in God's word. Right? I mean, last week, we heard those words, God is working all things together for good, and we look out at the world, and we look at our lives in the world, and we wonder, good? Doesn't seem to be a lot of good. Or even this morning, we read in verse 37, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We hear that language, more than conquerors, not just conquerors, but super conquerors. Like, we're better than just conquerors, we're more than conquerors, but then we look at our lives, and I don't know about y'all, but I look at my life. In many days, I do not feel like I am a conqueror. I feel like I have been conquered. And so we look at the world and we look at our lives. And it's easy for us to start to wonder and to start to doubt and to start to think, how is it that Paul can say these sorts of things? How is Paul so confident? Where does that come from? Well, it's clear it doesn't come from himself, right? Paul doesn't look to himself. He doesn't look to his own works or his own accolades to find confidence. We've already heard in Romans that Paul does what he doesn't want to do, and he doesn't do what he does want to do, right? And we've heard in Philippians that for all his good works, they are but rubbish before the Lord. And so clearly Paul's not invoking his own works when it comes to his confidence, no, Instead, his confidence rests in Christ. Right? Verse 37, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. And here's the key, through him who loved us. Through him who loved us. You see, what Paul is telling us is that because of what Christ has done and because of who Jesus is, that we can have confidence in this world. Confidence because what he has done, that he is the one who has provided, and he has secured us, and he has loved. We have confidence because of his provision. That's how our passage began in verses 31 through 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Okay, so Paul's asking a few questions here, right? What shall we say? Who can be against us? And won't he give us all things? And the resounding answer to every one of these questions is God's provision in Jesus. That the one who gave his son and Jesus who gave himself on the cross, that God is the one who provides for us. So do you see Paul's logic, how it's playing out? how God's provision gives us confidence. He says, who can be against us? Now, now in saying who can be against us, he's not saying that, no, we will never face opposition. Right? We know that. He's already talked about trial and tribulation. He invokes the Old Testament later when he says, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. He's talking about the, the difficulty in the trial we may face. Jesus himself said in this world we will face trial and tribulation and that if the world hated him, it will hate his followers, it will hate us. And so Paul's not saying that there won't be opposition. What Paul is saying, what he is telling us is that though difficulty and opposition may come, that all the foes of God and all the opposition that we face, they are nothing in comparison to God. That because God gave his son, who is the greatest gift of all, we can have confidence even against those who may oppose the people of God. Who can be against us? It doesn't matter because God is for us. That's what he said, right? That God is for us and he shows how he is for us in providing Christ. In providing what we need. You see, that's what God does. He provides his son because his son is what we need. He goes on and says, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Now, when he says all things, okay, it'd be easy for us to start to think, well, all things means that luxury car, right? That mansion, that job promotion, right? Well, those are all things. Come on now. But we know that that's not what Paul's talking about, right? When Paul's talking about all things, he's not talking about necessarily the things that we want. He's talking about the things that we need. And sometimes those things are different. Sometimes those things are different, but you see how Paul's playing this out, right? How it's rolling out. He says, look, God has given you Jesus, who is your ultimate need. And so if he gives you Jesus, who brings justification, who regenerates you, who forgives you of your sins, then surely he will also give you all you need for life and godliness. That's what Paul's getting at. What that means then is that what God gives us, it's for our good and what he doesn't give us that's for our good as well and that's where the rubber meets the road y'all because there are many things that we want right we want a spouse we want children we want promotion. We want to get into that school. We want to make that team. We want to have many friends. We only want to have a few friends, right? We, we, want, we want money or we want not too much money, right? We want a little bit of comfort, but not too, right? We have lots of things that we want. And those things that I just named and many others, there's nothing sinful in of themselves, right? There's nothing wrong about them in of themselves. And so it's easy for us to look at those and go, well, these are the things that I want. And so if God hasn't given them to me, then, then maybe the problem is with God. But what Paul is telling us is, is, no, that God will give us what we need. And so the problem isn't with what God has given or not given. The problem is with us believing and having confidence that what God gives and doesn't give is for our good. If he would give us Jesus, surely we can have confidence that he will give us what else that we need. And so we can have confidence in God's provision. But it's not just his provision that gives us confidence, it's also his security. Paul asks some more questions. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who is to condemn? Who shall separate us from Christ? Okay, so these questions are addressing our insecurity, aren't they? Right? Because when we look at our sin, when we look at the ways that we have fallen short, when we look at all that we have done and the things that we have thought and the desires that fill our heart, our sins hang over us and declare we are guilty. And because of our sin, we know that we should stand condemned. And so we live... With this guilt, and we walk around with words of condemnation ringing in our ears, and this guilt and these words, they can cause us to doubt. Maybe we're really not that secure in Christ. Maybe he's let go of his grip on me. But Paul responds, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies What that means is that our standing before God rests in Christ, that that sin doesn't have the final or loudest word over our lives, that if you are trusting in Christ, it's God who has the final word over you. It is Christ, it is God who justifies. He goes on, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Okay, so do you hear that? This is amazing, right? Like this Trinitarian um, theology that's come out in Romans. Because we heard last week the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf when we don't know what to pray, right? With groanings too deep for words, he intercedes for us, but so too does Jesus, Jesus intercedes on our behalf. That those words of condemnation that our sin may speak into our minds and into our hearts, Jesus' words drown out. Because he stands before the Father and declares we are his. That we are his. Yes, sin deserves death and hell. But Christ's work and his standing before the Father, it secures our place with him. So that Jesus says, yes, they have fallen short. Yes, they have turned away. Yes, they have sinned again. But they're mine. That's what he declares before the Father. That we are his. He intercedes on our behalf with his very works. Martin Luther once said, when the devil throws your sin in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, in other words, when words of condemnation come upon us, he goes on and says, tell him this, I admit that I deserve death and hell, what of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God, and where he is, there I shall be also. That's beautiful. Where Christ is, there I shall be also. Friends, we can be confident that we are secure, not because of our perfect record or our sinless lives, but because in Christ there is now no longer condemnation. Because God justifies and Christ intercedes, so we are secured today and tomorrow and always. Right? That's where, Jesus, that's where Paul goes on. He asks another question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Can these things separate us from Christ? Can these things loosen God's grip upon us? And Paul answers for I am sure. That language, I am sure, it, it, it has this uh, implication. It's, it's this Greek word that has the implication of settled conviction. There's no doubt here. There's no wavering. I am convinced. This is what Paul's saying. I am convinced, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Y'all, think about what he just said. Death, life, angels, rulers, present to come, powers, height, depth. Okay, what in our life that we have or could experience is not covered, right? As one theologian put it, there is nothing in human experience, in the spiritual realm, in time, in space, nothing in all creation, nothing can separate us. Look, I have to tell y'all, um, we're not supposed to rank verses and passages in the Bible, and chap- right? It's all God's word, okay? So that's the caveat. It's all God's word. Don't at me later today, okay, please, all right? But I have to tell you that, that for all of the book of Romans, for how beautiful it is, for how the, the truths are so rich, the theology is so good, for how comforting some of the verses are that we've heard and what we will hear, I have to tell you it's these verses that are the most comforting. It is these verses that are the most, that create the most assurance in me Nothing can separate us. Nothing. We can be convinced and sure and confident that no matter what comes our way, tribulation or danger, distress, even death itself, we are convinced and confident that we are secure. I mean, really, Paul's just echoing what Jesus already told us, isn't he? Do you remember in John chapter 10, that wonderful passage where Jesus declares that he is the good shepherd? He says of his sheep, he says of us, right? That's who we are. We're his sheep. He says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. You see, what Jesus was telling us in John 10 is what Paul is telling us in Romans 8, that that God's grip is so strong, is so strong that there is nothing that would cause him to loosen it. That his grip is so strong that it's, it's not tribulation or distress or death or even our sin that would cause him to release us. He holds us. And nothing can pluck pluck us from his hand. Friends, that gives us confidence that we are perfectly and completely secure. We have confidence in God because of his provision and because of his security. And finally, because of his love. Three times Paul invokes love in our passage. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ Verse 37, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Verse 39, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see how love is the key? It's love that holds this whole thing together, isn't it? It's love that changes us because we were once conquered by sin, but because of God's love, we're now more than conquerors. It's love that holds us fast. We were once separated from God, but now because of God's love, nothing can remove us from him. It's love that gives us what we need. We were once condemned, but now because of love, God gave Jesus, and we are now justified. You see, what we need is love. The Beatles actually got it right. (laughs) Right? All we need is love. Bum-ba-ba-ba-bum, ba, 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 bum. right? I'm not going to sing anymore. But the Beatles got it right. All we need is love. Love is all you need. They got it right. Sort of. <laughs> right? Because love is what we need, but, but it's not just any kind of love. And it's not just love from just anyone. Because we know that as good and as sweet and as comforting as a love of a spouse or a parent or a child or a friend is, it's not enough. It's not enough. Yes, what we need is love, but what we need is the love of God. What we need is the love of the Father who would send his Son, who for love went to the cross. And gave of himself for us. It is that love that we need. And it is that love that gives us confidence. Now, I, I hate to spoil the book for you in case you're thinking about going and buying that book that I referenced at the beginning. But but I have to tell you that the confident mind, the, the author's answer to doubt, and the way for us to counteract unsurety is to look to ourselves. That the way that we, we have confidence in this world and on the athletic field and in the boardroom and around the family dinner table and out in this world, the way we have confidence is we look to ourselves. We look to all the victories we've had in the past and all the successes that we've accomplished. And we look to all of our strengths and our abilities and our gifts. And we look to us But I don't have to tell you that to look to yourself is not enough. That we actually need something surer, and firmer and stronger than ourselves. That as strong as you might be, you are not strong enough. That as firm as you might be in your convictions, you are not firm enough. What we need is Christ. We put our confidence not in ourselves, but we put our confidence in the one who is provided and who makes us secure, who loves us with an unfailing, never ending love. Friends, we don't put our confidence in this world or in ourselves. We put our confidence in Christ. So let's ask him to help us to do that very thing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have given the greatest gift of all, the gift of your Son. And so we pray that we would rest in Christ, in what he has done on our behalf, that we would not look to ourselves, to our own works, to our own gifts or our own abilities, but we would look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our salvation. We would look to his grace and what he has done. And when we do so, we would have great confidence. Confidence knowing that you have given us what we need and that we are secure in you and confident that your love rests upon us. Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord? Nothing in all creation. Let us not doubt, but have confidence in that. We pray all this in Christ's name. And God's people said together, Amen. Amen.